Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacy LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Kim Saunders. Kim was a practicing attorney when she turned to animal welfare in order to use her skills in a field about which she was passionate. She joined PetFinder.com in its infancy and it grew its membership while strategically planning and executing its programs for 15 years, making PetFinder and Pet Adoption a household name and successfully transitioning the organization after it was acquired by Discovery Communications. In this role, Kim led a team of smart, dedicated animal welfare professionals who helped shelters and rescues around the country facilitate over 20 million pet adoptions while professionalizing their operations. Kim then moved into a more hands-on role, leading operations, program development, and communications as vice president at St. Hubert's, one of the country's leading animal welfare centers. Here, she was able to oversee animal care, animal control relationships, community outreach, humane education, and volunteer programs for two shelter facilities. She also developed and launched the groundbreaking Foster a Sandy Pet Initiative, engaging nearly a 1,000 potential volunteer foster caregivers to increase long-term pet retention reunification after the devastation of Hurricane Sandy. After leaving St. Hubert's, Kim agreed to do some consulting work for a very different type of organization. The Liberty Humane Society is the only licensed animal shelter in Hudson County, New Jersey, one of the most densely populated counties in the state with a rich cultural diversity and the socioeconomic issues resulting from 15% of the population living under the poverty line. In addition to providing animal control services for three local municipalities, LHS offers services and adoptions to residents throughout the county. The shelter operates from a former city garage turned animal shelter. It only took a short time consulting before Kim was hooked on the challenges and rewards operations at LHS offered, and she accepted the role of operations director. Working collaboratively with a visionary executive director and a firecracker team of shelter staff, Kim is proud of the services LHS offers the pets and people of Hudson County. In addition to improving shelter operations and animal care, increasing adoptions, broadening staff training, moving animal control completely in-house, making facility upgrades, and expanding community outreach, Kim was thrilled last year to bring the first low-cost spay-neuter program to Hudson County, including a $10 subsidized program for community cats. And this year, in order to continue growth that program and make further inroads into community cat issues, she's added a community cat coordinator to her staff. Yippee! Kim shares her home with her cat Miko, who she trapped from a neighbor's yard in order to TNR. Miko soundly rejected the R in that process and joined the family where he supervises the various blocky-headed foster dogs Kim insists on bringing home. Kim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stacy. I'm glad to be here. Wow. So this is, I, I was thinking about shortening this bio down, but you've got so much stuff going on in here. I just couldn't resist. And I had to read the whole thing because you've got such an incredible background. So you started out as a practicing attorney. Did you work in animal welfare as an attorney or, you know, how did that jump really happen? I didn't. I started off as a practicing attorney doing general law. Um, and I did animal welfare volunteer work in my spare time, uh, which quickly grew to be 
all of my time. <laughs> and I was sort of known even in the legal world uh, as the animal person. So people would come to me with questions um, and look to me for resources. Um, and it was actually, it's a fun story. I was going onto a uh, message board, and I know that's dating myself, back before Petfinder was a household name, looking for an answer to a question for someone. And I saw that they were looking for Petfinder was looking for an internet savvy professional to lead their team, which uh, looking back was really kind of funny because I didn't even own a computer at the time. <laughs> uh, but I uh, threw my hat in the ring thinking that I was severely underqualified. What did I really know? You know, all I had done was volunteer for a local rescue group um, and foster some pets. And I ended up having uh, a conversation with the Petfinder founders and deciding to leave the practice of law to move into the career that was ultimately going to be what I did for the rest of my life, I think. So you must have eventually gotten a computer and gotten a little more tech savvy. I did. I've, I have become an internet savvy professional. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> aspirations will get you where you want to be. So it's very funny because you actually joined animal welfare on a very hands-off type role, but then you made an intentional jump moving into the hands-on. It's Sometimes it seems like it tends to trend the other way. What made you want to go back into more of a hands-on situation from your profession? I think I was inspired by all of the hands-on work that I got to see. I mean, working with Pathfinder all those years was the best experience I could have ever had. I got to work with people all across the country who were doing hands-on work and doing amazing things. And we were able to support them and give them tools that would help them do even greater work in their community. You know, and there was always that little bit of, boy, I wish I could do some of that great work in my community, uh, you know, behind the scenes. So when the opportunity presented itself to do that, I thought, well, now's the time. One of the things that we're going to talk about today is the impacts that the shutdown, federal government shutdown, has had in your community, talking about the importance of being out there and in your community. I had seen an article come across the wires uh, about what you are seeing through your shelter program. Can you touch upon how the government shutdown impacted your programs, as well as maybe what you think going forward with the thought that we may end up with more shutdowns down the road? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with the government shutdowns, we all were concerned. Um, our community already faces some real socioeconomic issues, uh, a lot of unemployment, and poverty, which leads us to provide the support needed to help those people and their pets. Um, and seeing the government shutdown, knowing that that would only increase those issues among people who hadn't had them previously, people who are living, you know, pretty much paycheck to paycheck, but um, have good jobs and, you know, are consider themselves responsible pet parents, all of a sudden faced with not having the income that they really should have. So uh, we were concerned about that. And we were ready to provide whatever resources we could to keep people from having to part with their pets. It was actually uh, another animal welfare organization, Pet Rescue Inc., out of a local New Jersey town. Their founder, uh, Robin Ehrman, noted the same issues and started a pet food drive, generally at local pet stores where government employees could come in and get food. And she was aware, we worked very collaboratively with other organizations, she was aware of the programs that we already had, um, the people we serve. So she reached out 
to ask what we were doing. And that was great. It was the collaboration that actually caught the eye of the media and got that some focus, uh, you know, shined a light on the things that we were able to offer. So when you're talking about supportive care for folks, were you just focused mainly on doing the the food drives or was there anything more that you were looking into for extra supportive programs? The great part about the organization that I'm with currently is that we will uh, turn on a dime and do whatever is necessary. So it is a program of broad support. Prior to the government shutdown, we have a pet owner assistance program, um, which is a loosely framed program with a goal of providing the resources necessary to help people keep their pets with them and their family. So that could include the basics like food, litter. Sometimes it's as simple as providing someone with a crate to be able to safely house their animal uh, during interim housing. It may be vaccines. It may be that, you know, they need to provide proof to uh, landlords or someone else that the animal is healthy and well cared for. If they require behavioral assistance, we have staff and volunteers who are always willing to step up and try to offer that assistance to help them keep their pet with them. And then, of course, if there are larger medical issues, something unforeseen, something coming just at a very bad time, then we would want to step in and help with that. And we kind of craft it around what the needs are of the individuals uh, and how we can best help them. When you look ahead at potential future shutdowns, are there any things that you feel that you will need to provide going forward? Any lessons learned? Any new things that you're going to think of? We're going to have another shutdown. I will be the pessimist here and say, I'm sure we're going to have another government shutdown at some point. When you're looking forward, how do you prepare for that? Sadly, I agree with you. I think that that will happen. And I think that we are prepared to expand the program and really just do more of the same. What we heard from people was sometimes it can be as simple as getting a few bags of food to get them through to the next the next time that they have access to funding. Uh, sometimes it may be, you know, that medical emergency is something that people will be able to get past but can't right then. So we're just looking to expand the program to include whatever is necessary to help people keep their pets with them. And that, I mean, that's really a passion of mine. I came into animal welfare with a real laser focus on adoption, which I think is critically important. Anyone in a shelter would say so. But the shift in thinking as we move, as we move along, I really think that the focus is keeping the pets who have already been adopted in some way and have a loving family, keeping those pets in the family. And I think that that really requires us to be flexible and look at the situations that are in front of us and figure out how we help them. And if there's anything that we can do to do that, we will. And I think moving forward, probably getting the word out more because a lot of times people don't know that these resources exist um, and they're not in a place, you know, they're in a place where they're already trying to find the resources to care for their immediate basic needs and their human families. So making sure that they know that these resources exist so that it's not coming down to the last moment and them trying to rehome a pet that they don't have to. I agree. I think it's, you know, the different layers of trying to figure out what a person needs just to be able to keep their pet and to build that bridge. With regards to the shutdown, I'm part of an organization up here in Vermont called Positive Pantry. I'd interviewed uh, Jen Bennett, the president of way, way, like probably episode five of my shows. But we have a relationship with the Vermont Food Bank and they reached out to Positive Pantry and they wanted to double the amount of food that they were providing to the food shelves all around the state because 
because they were getting such a high demand for pet food requests while the shutdown was happening. And luckily, Positive Pantry was able to take the step forward and say, yeah, we'll, we'll double our purchases for the next several months. And uh, so it's it's something that happens all around, all around the country, and it's going to impact everybody. And I think it's good for us to think about preparing for it rather than trying to react to it as it's happening. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Today's episode is sponsored by Space Kitty Express, your one-stop shop for exotic cat drugs. Everyone's heard of catnip, but what about valerian root, tatarian honeysuckle, or silver vine? Space Kitty Express specializes in offering these hard-to-find catnip alternatives, both in their herbal form and stuffed into a variety of reusable toys. Their herbs are 100% pure, not like those quote-unquote catnip blends you might find in a pet store. Their tartarian honeysuckle wood is cut fresh and kept frozen to lock in its citrusy scent. Their silver vine exudes a mintiness that tingles the nostrils. Their organic valerian root is so musky that they've had to blend it with organic lemongrass so that human noses can tolerate it. Cats can definitely tell the difference between these quality herbs and that stale catnip from the big box store. Visit SpaceKittyExpress.com and watch videos from satisfied feline customers. Use coupon code COMMUNITYCATS, all one word, at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. That's SpaceKittyExpress.com with coupon code COMMUNITYCATS. Doesn't your cat deserve the best? Spoil them today at SpaceKittyExpress.com. <coughs> ProVet Logic. Based in Scottsboro, Alabama, provides educational support and product solutions to professional pet care providers and pet parents throughout the country. As a licensed veterinary medical continuing education provider, ProVet Logic provides a variety of educational tools designed to help cat care providers create a cleaner and safer environment for both the cats in their care and the care providers. To learn more about ProVet Logic, please visit www.provetlogic.com or call 800-869-4789. <laughs> So I want to chat with you for a little bit about the community cat coordinator position because it's music to my ears. <laughs> and also, I think it's ideally going to become a regular staff position within every large organization, or I certainly hope that's the case. Could you share with me what their duties are, what their tasks are? Like, what's that job description like for a community cat coordinator? Absolutely. Although um, I laugh when you ask about the job description because I think our new staff person is still waiting for that exact description. Uh, <laughs> we are thrilled uh, to be able to have someone in this role. And it was really born of um, necessity and the need to have someone to help us bring those programs together. So last year, we were able to procure some funding and work very hard to have funding for a subsidized spay-neuter program. So that actually came first. And our subsidized spay-neuter program offers to the uh, residents in the communities that we provide animal control services for a very greatly subsidized services, $10 spay-neuter for any community cat or dogs over 10 pounds, as we've identified those dogs, you know, as the ones we see most often in the shelter. So for $10, uh, someone who's caring for cats outside in their yard whether it's a colony or just a cat in their yard, can come in, bring the cat, they get vaccinations, the cat is spayed or neutered, tattooed, ear tipped for visual identification, and then released back to them. Uh, we provide the resources for them to be able to trap the cat, uh, instructions on humanely and safely trapping, we will loan them the trap, 
information on how to house the cat after surgery until release. And then moving forward, you know, they can take advantage of the service as often as they need to. So we rolled this out to the community. We were very excited to do it. And it quickly took on a life of its own. Um, and we realized that in order to continue the program and grow it, we were going to need someone to handle the coordination, the scheduling, speaking to these people, and also to broaden it to get out there and really provide a dialogue with folks that are in the community who may not be aware of the services that their local animal welfare organization can provide. Unfortunately, sometimes shelters still have that mystique um, in a negative way, and, and people caring for cats might not realize that the shelter supports them in their efforts to do so. You know, we are not the quote-unquote dog catcher. We do not want to pick up their cats. In fact, we want to do everything we can to never pick up their cats. So the role, in addition to scheduling the actual surgeries and talking to the folks out there on how best to help the cats in their care, is also designed to get out into the community and talk to more people about what community cats are, why it is that they're there, how to appropriately care for them, when to get involved versus when to let them be, and really just help people to do more to help the cats they already care about. It sounds like there's a I don't know, 80% outreach, 20% activity, or is it more of a 50% outreach, 50% actually out there assisting with trapping community cats in, the, in your area? I find that in this position, sometimes you're either 100% a cat trapper or you're 100% outreach and then various sort of shades of gray, I guess, in between. There's no real magic formula out there, but I was just wondering what your community cat coordinator is finding. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and we're going to allow the position to grow to be whatever it needs to be to serve the needs of our community. Right now, I would say that it is more of an 80% outreach type of position, but it's also the middle of a polar vortex. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have a tremendous amount of trapping um, on any large scale happening right now. As we move into spring and summer, I think that may change and there may be more of a 50-50 split, but we are entirely team and uh, particularly our new community cat coordinator is excited to figure out what those needs are and sort of craft the position into what's going to work best. So tell me what's life like for a community cat in Hudson County in general. What does it look like now and what do you think it's going to look like five years from now? Yeah, it's really interesting. So we are a very uh, urban community, very densely populated, whether it be residential or there's a lot of factory, you know, a lot of industrial areas. So tons and tons of space for tons and tons of community cats. And residents in Hudson County, like residents everywhere, are very mixed. There are those who fully embrace the idea that there are cats that live in their neighborhoods and are doing well. And then there are a lot of residents who have concerns about cats outside, the idea that, you know, a cat should live inside in order to be safe. And then some who are concerned about the behaviors of cats and how that might affect, you know, their quality of life or the quality of life of their pets. So as we work with people and educate people on the idea that feral cats and or community cats generally can live a happy and humane life outside, particularly with support from the community and from Liberty Humane Society. I think the, the lives of the cats continue to improve. I think at the same time, we're able to, I've seen this happening already, so I would like to think that over the next, you know, 10 years or so, it will continue to happen. Unnecessary populations will 
continue to shrink. Spay neuter will keep additional animals from being born into a situation where they don't necessarily need to be. Um, while the cats that live there and are cared for and provided housing and food and uh, medical care when needed continue to thrive. Uh, and I think the more that we do that, and support those communities, the happier both the cats and the people will be. So are you currently seeing a drop in intakes for cats in your programs? We are. And with the one of the roles of the community cat coordinator that we didn't talk about is going to be to track that a little bit more accurately and track it by area. Uh, we have seen that certainly even in the past two years where we didn't have that position, but our animal control team, our animal response team and the officers that are part of that have done a significant amount of TNR in areas. We tend to focus on the areas where there are people looking for our assistance, um, just because that makes the most sense. Uh, there is no shortage of cats that we could go out and TNR. Um, but we've focused on areas where people really want the help. Um, and so in looking in those areas, we've seen less cats than coming in, less kittens coming in the following spring. But we'd like to be able to, you know, rely a little bit more on our data and look at the zip codes and see, be able to show people the actual results of that so that we can say, here's how the efforts are working, because um, we know they're working. And now we want to just expand our ability to show that. Do you offer low cost for owned cats? We do. So part of having the subsidized spay-neuter program come to Hudson County is we formed a partnership with another organization, People for Animals, who are very well known in New Jersey. They provide high quality, low cost spay-neuter in various areas. And uh, our partnership with them has brought their surgical team to come to Hudson County and use our shiny, beautiful new spay-neuter vehicle, both to do the subsidized spay-neuter, but also to provide two to three days per month with low cost spay-neuter for owned pets. And it is a significant savings from anything else that's ever been offered. And it's right in the people's neighborhoods, which, you know, is incredibly important because while people for animals existed, maybe only 20 miles away, it may as well be 500 miles away for people who don't have transportation. So this is a mobile clinic that you have? It is. As part of our fundraising, we bought a vehicle and we updated it and turned it into a complete mobile spay-neuter unit. That's great. I ran two mobile spay-neuter clinics called the Catmobiles in, around Massachusetts, so I'm familiar with the mobile model. And I think it has a lot of pros and a lot of cons, just like a stationary clinic does. But, you know, for every location that you're at, there's different problems and solutions that outweigh one another. And I, I'm a big fan of the mobile model myself because you can go where the services are most needed. Yeah, we're really enjoying it. And it's often parked right now in the same location. But as we continue to grow and as our community cat coordinator targets areas that we think are more important, we plan to branch out and be able to have it in the different neighborhoods as well. I can't tell you. I still have a hard time when I drive by a nice big flat parking lot with lots of parking and easy <laughs> access to the highways. I get all like tingly and excited and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't do that job anymore, you know. But yeah, I do get very excited when I see these big flat parking lots that are easily visible from, you know, all connected roads and stuff because I'm like, that's a great place for a mobile clinic to park. So it's uh, those those silly things, you know. It's great. <laughs> So if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing at Liberty Maine, how would they reach out to your organization? Yeah, we would love to speak to anyone. We'd love to share what we're doing as well as get tips from other people on, you know, what's working for them. Uh, our website is www.libertyhumane.org. All the information for all of our services, including our community cat and subsidized spay neuter is available on the website. And that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. And Kim, is there anything else you'd like
like to share with our listeners today? I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that you have so many listeners who care so much about community cats. And I will add my two cents in just saying that it sounds like you have a really dynamic team. You use the words visionary executive director in your bio, as well as your support team of staff members. And it sounds like you've got a, a really nice group and that visionary component, that not being afraid to change. That's why you're able to have such a great impact in the area that you are, which is your organization is not afraid to change. And I think one of the big takeaways today is to listen to your community and serve the needs of your community and don't be be afraid if that actually means you need to adjust or change your programs within your organization or adjust what you're doing even as an individual volunteer. It's okay because at the end of the day, we're helping the animals in the community. So Kim, I want to just thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you for having me. I'd look forward to it. Join us for a webinar on March 23rd, 2019 at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Trapping Tips and Tricks presented by Neighborhood Cats. Drawing from almost 20 years of experience working with feral cats, the folks at Neighborhood Cats have gathered together their favorite ways of catching the wiliest of felines, whether it's putting in a clear rear door, using spam as bait, wrapping your trap with green garden netting, or training a cat to enter a trap. You're bound to learn something new that will improve your trapping success. Come prepared to share your secret tips and tricks too. After registering, you will receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the webinar. Please check it out at www.communitycatspodcast.com and sign up today.